Hello, and welcome to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. I'm your host, Dave Polis, and today we're going to be talking about practice development in a slightly different way than we have before on this program. We've often taken the approach to building practice that involves selecting and approaching prospects from a universe of those who fit into a niche or are part of a group or have a common theme. Today, we're going to examine how to build and secure the future of your advisory by approaching the next generation of the existing client base. Our guest today is Dan Pearson, founder and CMO of Legacy Shield, a digital platform for aggregating and keeping financial and other information organized for future generations. Dan started his financial services career in 2001 as an AXA representative and joined Kaiser Financial the following year as a vice president. He shifted to a CEO role with Independent Life Brokerage Corp. before founding Legacy Shield in 2014. Dan graduated from University of Maryland's Robert Smith School of Business with a bachelor's in finance and marketing. Dan, thanks for joining us today. We're glad you could be here. Thank you very much. I appreciate being part of it. Dan, in your background, going from CEO to founding a startup is a big leap. It's pretty scary stuff. But I think our audience can relate to that, as most of them have made a similar leap when they started their own uh, RIA. What happened in your life that prompted you to leave the relatively secure corporate environment to start something like Legacy Shield? Uh, thank you very much for having me uh, join this podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Let me answer that question for you, Dave. It's, it's a really good question as far as um, why did I leave a CEO role to do a startup that's not guaranteed? And, and I'll tell you, uh, the biggest thing was I saw a need in the market to be able to serve a certain segment of which we just couldn't do in a corporate environment. And so I set out to set the foundation for an organization that could go ahead and make a difference in people's lives. An altruistic goal. And, and I think a lot of startups would say that their biggest thing is trying to make people's lives better. So clearly there's precedent there. How did you and uh, co-founder Michael Kabibikian meet initially? Yeah, so Michael and I knew each other from uh, several years prior. Uh, he was the president and CEO of Transamerica Brokerage. And I had uh, been one of their top consumers or customers, I should say, um, and sat on their advisory board. Uh, we spent a lot of time together talking about the industry, uh, talking about what was missing and how things could be improved. And through that conversation and, and relationship, we started talking about, you know, what could we do uh, to make a difference? And that's where we decided that we had an opportunity right in front of us to uh, make a change. Uh, fantastic. In your early practice, let's talk about history from just a minute. Uh, you served multi mostly ultra high net worth individuals. Did you notice differences between that client base and the more typical advisory client and the way you approach things or how you treated them? Yeah. So it's not so much um, the way I treated them, but more or less what I saw happening within the market. The ultra-affluent had resources and tools that were available to them that wasn't available to Main Street America. Uh, they had access to technology. They had access to teams. They had access to a plethora of knowledge and professionals that would help them make better decisions. Um, whereas the Main Street America, a lot of them were left to do it on their own. A lot of them didn't realize that they even had access to a financial advisor or financial professional that could help them. And so it really wasn't so much the way in which they were treated. It was what they had access to. So really, without an advisor, the rich really are different um, <laughs> in that regard. Yes. Uh, 
In, in your current business, it's structured to help advisors capture financial information, organize it, and keep it so that families have a common resource and common storage for future generations. Do, do advisors you know focus on the next generation in their practice? You know, some do, but most don't. And I don't think it's a lack of knowing that they need to focus on the next generation. It's, a, it's, it's trying to figure out how to best do that. Most advisors do not have a system in place in order to connect between the different generations. And let's talk about the sandwich generation for a second. The sandwich generation being the individuals that have living parents and living children. Um, the advisors that are servicing the sandwich generation, they have such an opportunity to work up and down that generational chain, but just don't know how to approach it. And if you don't have sort of a, an inherent or or cultural focus on that kind of thing. You tend to stick to your knitting. Advisors serving high net worth individuals, they tend to focus on capturing assets from the principal client, keeping that client through smart planning and top flight customer service, hopefully. They focus on the relationship and retaining that client. Is that a strategy that can really work long term? I mean, everybody ages out at some point. No, it's a great question. And I'm sure you know the statistics. It's not a long term strategy. Now, it works great if um, you're constantly hunting and, you, and you're not worried about um, protecting the entire family, but you're, you're working against two startling statistics. And one is that over 6% of the wealth of one family um, dissipates from generation one to generation two, and that generation three, about 90% of that wealth dissipates. And you have the same issue with the, the uh, children of family members, they typically don't stick with the same advisor. So you have those two forces working against you. It's really important. It's not a good long-term strategy not to focus on it. It's really important to focus on making sure you're connected to that um, multi-generational um, lineage so that uh, not only do you help that consumer and the consumer's family retain the wealth, but also ensures that you retain the client. Yeah, it seems that the, the adage shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations still holds true um, in that much of the wealth does dissipate one way or another between generations. The, the families that tend to sustain great wealth tend to focus on the next generation very early in the process. We've seen some of the robber barons from, from the teens and 20s that carried through three and four generations later. They were thinking about 20, 40, 60 years down the road, not five. And I think if they had had advisors back then that were the same as they have now, those guys would have probably thinking the same way when they advised those families. How would you counsel advisors who are looking to way to attract more millennials into their practice so they can start this process? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, number one, I would, when working with the client, your primary client, I would make sure you get a deep understanding of the family dynamics. Make sure to get the entire family involved. Um, and it doesn't just involve talking about wealth. It talk, it's, it's about talking about the values in addition to the valuables. Um, it's almost like the lottery ticket syndrome, leaving family members with a plethora of wealth with no values associated with it uh, results in disaster. Uh, that's one of the reasons why um, money dissipates from generation one to generation two. So making sure that you involve the family members um, when talking about planning is extremely important. Number two, um, it's not just about involving those family members now, but making sure there's involvement throughout the process on all the different touch points. As you meet with them on the annual reviews, make sure you're bringing those family members in to talk about 
the different sections of their planning that relates to them. And I'm not saying they need to be involved in every conversation, but there are definitely parts of the conversation in which they should be involved in. And then number three, I go back to that system. Having a system in place to systematically connect the dots between the different generations to be able to connect the dots to the millennials. And talking about systems, by the way, we all know millennials love technology. Having a good system to be able to connect with them on a technological fashion, you know, in a means in which they want to communicate, not in the means in which you prefer to communicate, it's going to greatly increase your odds of, of working with that you know, millennial consumer. I'm glad you brought that up because I want to touch a little further on on working with millennials. A lot has been written about how they're different, how they do things in a different way, how they don't think about things the same way, how they're largely putting off some of the larger sort of milestone purchases and, and life change stages that, that the generation prior undertook almost on a clockwork basis. Is it just conjecture or, or does the next generation really have different needs? And, and will they continue to need face-to-face planning regardless of those changes? So that is, uh, a, there's a lot there, Dave. Um, <laughs> let, let me just first say, uh, first and foremost, um, technology cannot replace human interaction. It needs to complement it. People do need to have a human there. Whether it's face-to-face or virtually conference, um, that's to be determined. But there needs to be a human element there. Um, I would I would argue that it's probably a combination of technology with the human in some sort of virtual uh, conversation using a Zoom or something like we're doing today. But millennials absolutely care about their future. I think what the difference may be is they are actually a little bit more practical than we have. I'm in my mid-40s than I had been in my youth. They're much more conscious about going into debt. They're much more conscious, or conscientious, I should say, about buying things prematurely. They're not going to rush into buying a home. They're not going to rush into buying a car. They're taking advantage of new services that are out there like Uber so that they can get to where they need to go without having to be tied down to tons of debt. They saw what their parents went through during the financial downturn, and they saw what that meant to um, the family. And they acknowledge what kind of student debt they've incurred and what that means from a long-term perspective and how that makes it very difficult for them to thrive in a society like today. So I would argue that millennials are great clients to pursue. They're going to have a lot more wealth than, um, than traditional clients had in the past because they're being much more frugal about where they spend their money. That is a heartening insight for most of the advisors listening to us because uh, the savings rate is unchanged from its abysmal level in 20 years. And to see that uptick and, and to know that the next generation is taking care of things, advisors take heart. There's good folks out there waiting. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Dan about digital assets and how legacy planning has changed and how technology can help all this improve. We'll be right back. Are you an RIA or financial advisor looking to grow and scale your practice, but feel like you could use some help? Feel like there are lots of growth options out there, but don't have time to research them and don't want to make an expensive mistake? Want to spend more time helping clients instead of time-consuming investment research, compliance checks, or transactional work? If you answered yes to any of these, Pinnacle Advisor Solutions has the answers you need with a range of outsourced options and financial planning support, Pinnacle has a solution that fits your needs, budget, and circumstances to help you scale up, grow your practice, 
or put a succession plan in place. For more information or to set up an appointment, call 201-919-4838. And we're back with Dan Pearson of Legacy Shield. Dan, in the past 20 years, have there been advances or changes in how legacy or estate planning is done, whether it's this generation or the next? Yeah, there absolutely has. Um, you know, part of it just has to do with uh, tax law changes and what is considered necessary as far as sheltering assets from uh, tax exposure, where you should put those um, assets, what type of vehicles, um, and what type of documents need to be generated. I would also want to point out real quick that estate planning is a very vague word or concept. You know, estate planning is for everybody. Everyone has an estate. Taking care of yourself with a medical and financial power of attorney, advanced directive, that's part of estate planning. I think, um, unfortunately, when most people hear about estate planning, they think of only the ultra fluent and they think about, you know, thousands and millions of dollars that need to be properly properly planned for so that you eliminate, you eliminate taxes. And that's a portion of it. But I do want to point out that everyone has an estate plan. No, I was going to say that's very true. We've experienced that here. It, the word estate has an, a connotation of, of ultra rich or, or needing to, to create special vehicles or, or special legal entities to, to help either mitigate or avoid taxation entirely. And uh, we know that's not true. Th that's absolutely right. And so I would say this actually is very important for advisors to understand. That's because clients, unfortunately, just like with insurance and other things that they should be doing, most individuals do not have the necessary estate plan. So it's an opportunity, an opportunity to, uh, to partner up with an estate planning attorney, um, or to be able to have a system that is able to deliver the right type of estate plans to an individual. Now, you talked about what's changed in estate planning. I talked about the regulation and taxes and just the concept of planning in general. But one of the other things have changed is the onset of technology offering estate plans. So if you look at the different services, and there's half a dozen out there, do-it-yourself estate planning software kits, you know, people have the ability to do it themselves without spending thousands of dollars on an attorney. Not a, I'm not saying whether it's good or bad. I'm just saying it's out there. My question to the advisors is, do you want to be part of it or do you not want to be part of it? The less that you are involved in your client's planning, the more opportunity for displacement there is, whether there's another advisor involved or whether it's just technology. So I think it's very important for the advisor to be involved in it and align themselves with some fashion or some software or some type of solution so that they could be part of the planning process as a holistic approach and not just one, one piece. You mentioned estate attorneys, and I wanted to hit on those very briefly. They often make a, a tremendous referral source for us, uh, and for most advisors out there have at least one or two that they converse with regularly just to keep the lines of communication open. What's the next big thing in legacy planning that advisors can use to add value or additional services without running afoul and, and screwing up those relationships with the estate attorneys. Yeah, and I think um, the next big thing is, is the digital assets. I don't think people truly understand the significance of digital assets. Uh, there's a statistic out there that the average person has about $30,000 worth of digital assets. Uh, that's a statistic that brings both the uh, tangible and intangible into play. So for example, all your videos and all of your pictures online are considered assets, and there's a value associated with that. You know, as far as pure dollars with digital assets, you have certain things such as PayPal accounts and Starbucks cards, and you have gift cards, and you have miles from your airlines. All of that stuff do have value. 
And then the um, unfortunate aspect of the wasted dollars spent on subscription services, and, and we have become the subscription economy, right? I mean, everything's a subscription nowadays. But the, the wasted dollars on subscriptions that do not get canceled in time because family members do not know it exists. So I think the opportunity there, Dave, is to educate your clients on digital assets, digital asset planning. And that's something that most attorneys aren't aware of. And it's really easily incorporated into a will. And there's also technology that can handle that as well. There's technology that an advisor can incorporate into his or her practice to help uh, complement any type of planning done to ensure that nothing gets lost. I, this is fantastic to me because digital assets are one of my favorite topics when you talk about planning. There is so much that that includes that people don't even think of or aren't aware that's out there. I mean, it's not just your, your social media accounts and, and that kind of thing, which has not only financial but legal encumbrances as well. But on top of that, you've got even your domain names. If you've started websites or have family things, even owning your own domain names has a financial value that people discount or overlook. There's so many things out there that are online. And you mentioned the subscription services, which is one of my pet peeves. They will not tell you that those things are running in the background, that they'll keep hitting that credit card every month. And you can't stop them unless you've got all the proper paperwork and logins and everything else in place. If you're the second generation or the executor, you're going to have a hard time unless you've prepared for that kind of thing. So uh, I think this is a fantastic growth area, and I want to dig into it a little deeper with you. Great. How, uh, how difficult is it for advisors to offer that kind of service to clients without using specific software to keep track of it all? Say, I just want to crank open that part of my shingle and say, okay, I'm now going to start aggregating your digital assets for you as part of our planning process. Yeah. So, so that's a great question. And in fact, a lot of people ask me, you know, as a, as a consumer, well, I have a spreadsheet at home and I'm keeping track of it. You know, that's one approach. But unfortunately, by keeping a spreadsheet, you know, where are you keeping that? Are you keeping it on Google Drive, which is protected by a password that if you pass away, no one knows how to get there? You know, that's an issue. So as an advisor, at least you're a third party that has access to it that can provide that information to the appropriate people when they need it. So an advisor without uh, significant technology <clears throat> can hold on to the person's information in either a journal form or a spreadsheet, or they could then um, also offer or look to other technologies that are more robust. But you know, even though Excel or some sort of uh, Google Drive is technology, it's a free service out there. Everyone has access to it, and it's better than doing nothing. So that covers the the collection access and the and the the aspect of this where you're just gathering and holding the data. What are some of the other pitfalls that advisors clients can face? if they don't keep track of all these assets or make arrangements for their disposal after they're gone. That's that's the other portion of this that intrigues me. Yeah, so there's a couple issues here. One is that if they are keeping track of it and don't tell anyone where it is and then they pass away, that was a exercise in futility. Um, it goes nowhere. And unfortunately, that happens a lot. It happens with your insurance policies that you tuck in a draw. It happens with um, online bank accounts where statements are no longer sent. It's stored somewhere that no one has access to, no one knows where it is, and then it's gone. The other alternative is to give access to people now, and now you're breaching your own personal security. Because if you tell somebody how to access your account, and there is a username um, and password for your iTunes account, well, you may not want them logging in while you're alive, number one. And number two, you could potentially be breaking the laws uh, or break, breaking the contract that you've signed between 
uh, yourself and the, uh, the, the service provider like iTunes. A lot of these organizations uh, strictly say that you cannot share passwords and usernames. So you got to be very careful about doing that as well. I was going to say, it's not just the logins. There's an actual physical legal transfer that has to take place for ownership of that account. And that's got to be planned in advance. That does. There are letters and forms to be filled out. There are approvals to be made. There are verifications and confirmations that need done. It's a very complex thing. Uh, but advisors offering something like this would benefit sort of directly and indirectly, since not only would it be a service they can offer the current client base, but it's valuable to the next generation of potential clients because their inventory of, of digital assets is going to be much, much larger. So Dave, I agree with you 100%. And I think that brings everything together. We started out talking about how do you connect the dots between the different generations and how do you bring the families closer? When you hold the keys to the kingdom and you're the platform or you're the individual providing the information between the generations and making you know, G2, transitioning the information to G3, super simple and making sure that nothing gets lost and are having those conversations around what's included and making sure it's up to date and they have confidence in you as the advisor, you're making it that much easier to win the confidence and the vote of that individual to do business with you. It's a very sticky situation that you want to create so that uh, that retention rate is is so high generation to generation. There, But that's not the only part of the story. Digital asset inventory and storage aren't the only services advisors can offer to attract the next generation. Uh, if advisors want to start offering a different value-added service to their existing business, what would you suggest they do if they want to reach millennials as clients? Yeah, so I do think it's definitely important they invest a little bit in technology. They should have some sort of website. And most um, broker-dealers, uh, most organizations have relationships with organizations that uh, will provide those websites to, to them, make sure it's compliance approved, and make sure everything is staying up to date. Um, that is the way millennials want to interact. In fact, most people think it's just millennials. Um, even older individuals want to communicate that way. It's become the way in which we communicate is electronically. So that, that's one. Number two is content. What makes you unique? Why should people do business to you? What are your core competencies? Um, what do you have to offer? You don't need to be the best writer. Come up with an idea. Go on Upwork and hire a ghostwriter for you and put a couple articles out a year. Invest in a newsletter. Stay in touch with your clients. Do some face-to-face -face with your clients and, the and their uh, family members. You got to stay front and center. You got to mix in the technology that's, want that, that's being used and people want to use with still the personal touch. So it's a combination of, of increasing your marketing outreach in a way that they want to be outreached and maintaining top of mind awareness for, for the next generation. Adding services is only one aspect. Is there something else beyond marketing and technology that uh, something simple that advisors can start doing right away Maybe something non-software related that, that sort of lets them connect a little more easily. Yeah. I mean, it's do what you did when you first started. Pick up the phone, call your clients, talk about what they have in place, ask about getting the family members involved, talk about how it impacts the family members, talk in stories, people relate in stories, and talk about how you want, or you want, as the advisor, you want your client to make sure you leave things to their children in a nice, neat package and not a mess. And that you need their help to do that 
And in order to do that, you need to involve their family in more of the conversations. So start dragging them in early and getting them involved in a way that they can relate to, not necessarily giving away the whole story, but giving them a piece of the story to own. That's right. Uh, sounds like good advice for any advisor, really. We have time just left for about one more question. If you want our audience to take one good nugget of information away from this conversation, one thing they can do to enhance their practice today, what would it be? Yeah, it's don't stand still. Things are changing. Um, you need to embrace the change. There's tons of opportunity. Don't get scared by all the talk about the millennials out there and about consolidation and about how tough it is. There's a lot of opportunity if you do things right. Best thing to do is put a system in place, whether it's a technological solution, whether it's just a step-by-step -step procedure that you have implemented in your office that once someone comes in, you send them a, a welcome kit, and then you send them a newsletter a couple weeks later. Have a system, adopt to the technology, and make sure that you keep your head up. Those are great insights, Dan. Thank you so much for, for putting all that together. We've enjoyed having you. We've been speaking with Dan Pearson of Legacy Shield. If you have questions about digital asset management, about legacy planning, or anything else you've heard on this program, just drop us a line at 4advisors at pinnacleadvisory.com, and we'll do our best to answer them. You've been listening to 4 Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. I'm your host, Dave Polis. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're listening to 4 Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. This program is for educational purposes only, and the opinions expressed here by guests do not necessarily fully or accurately reflect the legal intent or nature of Pinnacle Advisor Solutions, Pinnacle Advisory Group, or its senior management. This program is not intended to give legal, investment, or financial planning advice, and opinions and statements made in this podcast should not be relied on as such. 